I am so thankful to be called a child of God. Aren't you? And I'm so thankful that he has a place for you and for me. Amen? Amen. And I'm so thankful that one day he is coming back. Our victorious king is coming back. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I tell you, as I've been preparing through this, I found myself a night lying in bed and tears would start streaming down my face. This is a message that I had to work through. It preached to my heart, and I hope it preaches to you and ministers to you as much as it has to me. Our text today is going to be coming from Psalm 42. So if you would take your source of scripture and find Psalm 42, we're going to read there in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like for us to look at this first quote, which says, God's justice is interwoven in mercy, and his majesty is clothed with compassion. We need to grasp that before we dive in. Focus on mercy and focus on compassion. That's who our Father is. Those are some of his wonderful attributes. He is merciful and he is compassionate. That is our Father. Many of us may find ourselves feeling as though we're no longer in the fight. The wind has been taken out of our sails. We may feel hopeless at times. The windstorms of lies and deception and discouragement may overwhelm us. may give you the feeling as though you're being swept away. And we become disheartened as we are constantly being fed the lie. God has abandoned you. Don't you believe for one moment that he has left you? He has not. That's a lie from the evil one. God is with you. God is with you. Let's take a look at Psalm 42. One of the interesting things here, some of you may have the heading in your source of scripture, it says a mascal of the sons of Korah. Basically, a mascal is a teaching or a lesson to be learned. And we truly have so much to learn here from this passage as we are going through times of difficulty in life. Is broken up, basically you'll have one verse, and then you'll have a chorus or refrain. Then you'll have another verse, and then another chorus or refrain. The refrain is repeating itself. It, he is re, the psalmist is reassuring himself to hope in God, and we'll come back to that time and time again. So let's take a look as we read through. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. 
Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and from the peaks of Hermon from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And a song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We're going to go back to verse 1. We're going to start pouring over these verses and gleaning these truths. It truly is an emotional roller coaster that the psalmist is experiencing here, and he's trying to communicate that. We have lessons to learn of how to deal with these circumstances as the waves come crushing in. Verse 1, As a deer pants for the water brooks, O my soul pants for you, O God. How many of you have heard the song, As the Deer? As the deer panteth for the water, nice and calm. Is gentle, so peaceful. Unfortunately, they missed the mark as far as the emotional turmoil that is taking place in this passage. Heart-wrenching pain is taking place here. There is no discomfort, or there is no comfort here, it's only discomfort. Except for the longing to be with God. That's the only hope that he has. How many of you have actually seen a deer panting? Okay. A couple of you have seen a deer panting. Um, it's not a pretty picture. It's not peaceful whatsoever. Um, I was out in the outdoors doing what I love to do. And over to my right, about 150 yards, I see some movement. I was like, what is that? And I see it's coming towards me. It's coming very quickly. And I was like, oh, that's a deer. Okay, it's like, but, but something is wrong because deer are generally very graceful. They move very smoothly as they travel, very quiet, but this one is panicked. There is definitely something awry here. So this deer comes closer and is like, okay, that's a doe. And she comes closer to me and she stops about 10 or 15 yards in front of me. And the, her ears are down, her tongue is hanging out, and she's gasping for air. I was like, okay, there, there's definitely something wrong. She takes a look over her shoulder, and then she immediately takes off. She's sprinting towards the tree line. It's about another 200 yards away, and she jumps into the tree line trying to escape the predators that are after her. And I look over back towards the right, and sure enough, here come two dogs right on her trail, steady pace, right after her, not missing a beat. They chase in into the woods after her, right where she ran in as she was trying to hide from them. And just a moment later, as soon as they go into the woods, she bounds out, running again. No rest, no break, no chance to catch her breath. That is a deer 
panting for water. There's a desperation there. There's something pursuing her that wants to devour her. And that's how our psalmist feels. He feels like he is just being eaten up. And he's looking to God, God, I need help. God, I need help. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? God is spiritual, living water that is necessary for life. Necessary for life. And the psalmist desires, oh God, I feel so distant from you. I need to be in your presence. I need a drink from you. Help me. Help me. I'm dying of thirst. My soul is drying up. My tears, verse 3, have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Constantly being taunted by Satan, the evil one, people who are led astray, pursuing their own desires, mocking the believer. Look at all this junk that's happening to you. (laughs) You have some kind of God on your side, don't you? That's how he feels. It's relentless. Time and time again. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With a voice of joy and thanksgiving and multitude keeping festival. He was remembering the mountaintop experiences. God, I can remember when we celebrated you. When we worshipped you. All was so wonderful. I was at peace. I felt so close to your presence. But I feel it's gone. What happened? Then you can hear him reminding himself. He has to look within and muster up his strength. And he asks himself this question Why are you in despair, oh my soul? That's how far the anguish has sunk in. The deepest part of his being, the hurt goes as far as it can into him. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. For the help of his presence. And I love this passage where it says, I shall again praise him. What that means is, I will still praise him. Through these circumstances, I will still praise him. Through this confusion, I will still praise him. Through this hurt, I will still praise him. And he reminds himself again for the help of his presence, and he remembers, oh wait, he never left. He never left. You see a transition here as we carry on into verses 6 and 7. He goes from a spiritual thirst, dying of thirst, 
to drowning, to being overwhelmed by crushing waves of despair. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your ways have rolled over me. He feels the crushing blows. Is this divine judgment? Is this life happening in a fallen world? But he recognizes that God is in the midst somehow. God is in the midst somehow. Then he remembers, oh wait, oh wait. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. He takes a step back and he remembers, wait, 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 wait. God loves me. God loves me. And if I listen, I can hear his song. I can hear the song of God. And it's a song of victory. It is a song of deliverance. It is a song of I never left you, I am right here with you. And he takes a deep breath. Thank you, God. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Then here comes another wave. This one's a big one. I will say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? There is a great sense of rejection and feeling alone. God, his rock, the very foundation of his life, he feels has been removed. Then once again, you can feel him pausing, trying to catch his breath, mustering up all the courage that he possibly can, asking God for help. Then he asks himself the question again. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Wow. He's going through a lot, huh? And you know what? I think if we're honest, we all have either been through or going through or will go through this type of roller coaster. And it hurts. It hurts badly. So how do we respond? What are we supposed to do when we face such turmoil? When we face those that mock us? Those who are relentlessly pursuing 
us to devour and destroy us. Number one, never doubt his love for you. Never doubt his love for you. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Think about this for a moment. This is really pretend here. If you and I had the power of God at our fingertips, and you have an angry mob coming to you, wanting to judge you, throw false accusations against you just simply in order to kill you and destroy you. If we're being honest with one another, we would have wiped that mob out. You are not touching me. No chance. You are not touching me. But listen to the heart of Jesus as he is hanging on the cross He is taking on our punishment, all of our filth, all of our junk, the thing that would destroy us. He's taking upon himself and he's looking out upon the crowd as he's being crucified, nailed to that tree, and he looks out at these mockers. Go ahead, Jesus. If you're who you say you are, go ahead and remove yourself from the cross. Show us how big you are. And you know what? He could have done it. He could have stopped it right there. He's like, you know what? That's enough. I've had it. But what does Jesus do? He looks out. I can see him looking into their eyes with a heart of compassion desiring for them to have life. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why would he do this? Because of love. Yes, he wanted to fulfill the will of God. And God says that he wanted to demonstrate his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love. Love kept him there. He did not want to destroy us. He wanted to save us. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we lose control of our thoughts or we're overwhelmed by the lies that come in. But let's be rational for a minute, okay? Let's be rational here. If God would sacrifice his son on the cross, cast his judgment and his wrath on him, and he dies on that cross, afterwards, why would God just immediately say, okay, you know what, I'm done, I'm walking away, that's it? Why would he do that? No, he is seeing this through. He is seeing it through. I sent my son that you may have life. And I am faithful to my promises. I am going to make sure that this provision will always remain. The blood of my son is priceless. 
No one else could take his place. And I gave him for you. That is love. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. So how great is God's love? Romans 8, verses 38 through 39 say this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Praise God! We have life through the Lord Jesus. He had compassion upon us. He was full of mercy. That is a divine, awesome love. As we consider God's love, we must also, number two, never doubt his faithfulness. Never doubt his faithfulness. I am so thankful that he is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to forgive. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Jesus died on that cross, he took our punishment, he took our sin, the judgment of God, that we may be washed clean. If we will come to God and say, God, I am sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I failed you. Forgive me. Save my soul. God is faithful to provide as well. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11 say this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now this is not a name it, claim it, God give me everything I want. This is God promising to be faithful to you and providing what you need as you seek him, as you serve him. God will provide what we need. He meets our needs. He is faithful to provide. God is faithful to his word and his promises. We ought to rejoice at that one. Woo! Because I'm telling you, I have made promises before that I probably shouldn't have and I didn't keep them. And if you're honest, I won't make you raise your hand, but I'm staring at you. I know that more than likely, you have made promises that you didn't keep. And I know many of you have received promises from people from the finite, and they didn't keep their promises, and it led to great disappointment. But God will not disappoint. God is faithful to keep his promises. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
He is going to see it through all the way. All the way. We must remember that in trials. We have to remember his faithfulness. Robert Morgan writes in his book, Then Sings My Soul, when the great Chicago fire consumed the Windy City in 1871, Horatio Spafford, an attorney heavily invested in real estate, lost a fortune. About that time, his only son, age four, succumbed to scarlet fever. Horatio drowned his grief in work, pouring himself into rebuilding the city and assisting the 100,000 who had been left homeless. In November 1873, he decided to take his wife and daughters to Europe. Horatio was close to D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey, and he wanted to visit their evangelistic meetings in England and then enjoy a vacation. When an urgent matter detained Horatio in New York, he decided to send his wife, Anna, and their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, on ahead. As he saw them settled in a cabin aboard the luxurious French liner, Ville du Havre, an unease filled his mind, and he moved them to a room closer to the bow of the ship. Then he said goodbye, promising to join them soon. During the small hours of November 22, 1873, as a ville du Havre glided over smooth seas, the passengers were jolted from their bunks. The ship collided with an iron sailing vessel, and water poured in like Niagara. The ship tilted dangerously. Screams, prayers, and oaths merged into a nightmare of unmeasured terror. Passengers clung to posts, tumbled through darkness, and were swept away by powerful currents of icy ocean. Loved ones fell from each other's grasp and disappeared into foaming blackness. Within two hours, the mighty ship vanished beneath the waters. The 226 fatalities included Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Mrs. Spafford was found nearly unconscious, clinging to a piece of wreckage. When the 47 survivors landed in Cardiff, Wales, she cabled her husband, saved alone. Horatio immediately booked a passage to join his wife. En route on a cold December night, the captain called him aside and said, I believe we are now passing over where the Ville du Havre went down. Spafford went to his cabin, but found it very hard to sleep. He said to himself, it is well. The will of God be done. He later wrote his famous hymn based on those words. When absolutely everything was stripped away from him. And he had nothing left but his being, his soul. He could say, it is well. Because he knew whose hand it was in. It is well with my soul. Then later on he wrote the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well 
it is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, or until then, it is well with my soul. Psalm 34, 18 through 19 says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Hear this church. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. That's faithfulness. That is faithfulness. Something that you may not have known was Psalm 42. It doesn't end at verse 11. It was actually intended, a lot of scholars believe, to carry over into Psalm 43. So how does the psalmist respond coming out of verse 11 going into chapter 43? We'll start in verse 3. He says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Then there's that refrain again. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. He was asking God, to send his light and his truth that he may be guided, ushered into the presence of God. Which way do I go? Show me the way. Remember, this is Old Testament. We go into the New Testament. God sends his son to send light to show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes of the Father but by me. Come on. Come on. Praise the Lord. He is faithful. He is so good. He has given us the light. And we should be drawn into him, into his presence with exceeding joy to celebrate him, to offer him praise. And when it gets hard, just as the psalmist said here, I am going to hope in God. I am going to sing his praise. I will still praise him through times of heartache. Third, never doubt his strength. Never doubt his strength. Never doubt his love. Never doubt his faithfulness. And never doubt his strength because his strength is sufficient 
for you. Need to remember, our strength will fail. His strength will endure. His strength will sustain. His strength will provide. And by his power and his might, his will will be done, and he will bring glory to his name. Praise be to God. Now that is strength. Now as we rest in him, as we trust in him, as we hope in him, let's look at Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 31. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So who are we trusting in? Who is our God that we're trusting in? Who is the Savior that we are trusting in? He has no beginning and no end. He is a spotless lamb of God. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our life. He is a living true way. He is a strength of Israel. He is a root and descendant of David. He is a bright and morning star. He is faithful and true. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our salvation. He is a champion. He is a chosen one. He is the high priest of our confession. He is a righteous servant. He is the Lord of hosts, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth. He is a man of sorrows. He is a light. He is the man. He is, sorry, he is the son of man. He is the vine. He is the bread of life. He is the door. He is the Lord. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our righteousness. He is a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is a chief shepherd. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the nations. He is a lion of Judah. He is a living word, the rock of salvation, the eternal spirit, the ancient of days. He is creator. He is comforter. He is Messiah. He is a great I am, and he is God, and he is on your side. Listen, brother. Take heart, sister. We know who he is. And we can also know who we are because we know he's faithful to his words and everyone who comes to him, everyone who calls out to him will be saved and be called children of God. Praise be to his name, children of God. We don't deserve it. But because of his love, he was willing to sacrifice his son to take care of what was separating us from him, our sin, our disobedience. If you are carrying a heavy burden today, if you have not come to God and asked him to forgive you of your sin, if you have not come to God and said, I need a savior. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me clean. If you are carrying that with you today, listen to what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. You can find rest for your soul and you'll be able to say it is well. And for my brothers and sisters who do believe, who are going through really difficult times, heart-wrenching times, you feel you are just turned upside down. You don't know which way is up. You have these pounding waves coming again and again and again and again and again. You feel completely crushed. Hope in God. Praise him through the circumstances, for he is worthy. And come and be refreshed in him and take a cool, refreshing drink from the living God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have not abandoned us. You have not left us to fend for ourselves. God, we needed light and you sent light. We needed a way and you sent the way. God, your love is so great. Your faithfulness is so divine. Your strength is so mighty. Help us to hope in you. Thank you, God, for your word. May it teach all of our hearts as we seek to be faithful back to you. We are so grateful, Father, that you are far more faithful to us than we ever could be to you. Not that we shouldn't try, but God, we're limited. But you're not. I pray that you would give us strength to thrive in you. And Father, we pray these things and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.